back to another of our Sight and Insight podcasts, the first for 2021, I believe. I think it's about 12 or 14 months since we've sat around the microphone uh, with our cups of coffee and had a a good chat about uh, the art world and what we've all been doing in this. Of course, it's not just me, Judy Curtis, but we have with us the lovely Lorwyn Connie Nagel, PhD, and the equally lovely David Curtis, just P. B.S. Degree. <laughs> so it's good to see uh, see you again, Connie. And perhaps Thank you'd you. like to kick things off with just <clears throat> updating us all on what you've been doing over the last twelve months. I know you were oh, always interested in uh, in writing um, a book, and I know it's gone through one or two changes from how you originally envisaged it. Right. What can you tell us about where you are now? Okay, so thank you um, for uh, this opportunity for for David and I to talk about Sight and Insight programs. We've really shifted gears. Um, Now we're uh, doing Zoom classes, which we'll talk about a little later. But um, I'll start out by saying that... Last year, when we went into the pandemic in March, um, I was still painting outdoors, and David was too. But but um, what happened, I did start to read a lot more. Um, lots of uh, books, um, art history books, uh, so forth. And I also... Um, because I, I got a PhD in 1985, I had several, uh, you know, colleagues that were also uh, getting their PhD from the University of Texas in Austin, in, um, and we graduated in 85. So I was in contact with one of them who's a neuroscientist at UVA, and um, he uh, connected me up with um, with an editor friend. And um, so I have been, so initially I was writing a book called um, uh, about the artist making art and the brain of, of you know, what, what the neuroscientific discoveries are. But in neuro, and it's called neuroaesthetics, I really found a dead end on that. I moved toward cultural psychology and more of the imagination and more of this what I would call the higher intentions of of um, of our lives uh, you know what it is that we do that that we excel in and that we master and um, that ma- gives meaning in our lives and so so my book moved toward a um, looking at uh, how psychology had disowned imagination in the in a hundred years. The, all of the 20th century, basically, psychology went into behaviorism. But equally, art shifted, and and so uh, so my book is part part. It has four scenes in it, and so it's a drama of art and psychology or painting. I want to clarify that because. It's not so much art as I'm looking at the history of painting and um, landscape painting in particular because that is where I think nature 
and painting and imagination all merge. Yeah. Search and we'll be able to see this book very soon. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe by the end of the year or certainly next Oh, no. No, no, no. Okay, well, David, and what have you been up to over these past 12 months? I hibernated quite a bit, uh, <laughs> went into the studio and painted in my own backyard, painted uh, garden scenes, and uh, Judy was uh, nice enough to come out and model uh, for me in the garden. And we had to, uh, it, was a, it was a really nice summer because I could capture uh, little moments in one little space over time over the summer. Yeah. I thought that was very good. And then in the studio, and uh, then I had a show uh, to uh, just sort of celebrate this idea of being sequestered. Um, an artist, being, I, I think an artist being sequestered is like, is like um, you know going to heaven. Maybe I was just gonna say paradise. <laughs> uh, because because all the other times you hey now as an artist you have business to attend to. Mm -hmm. Finally it was like you know to relax you go in the studio and you paint and it was uh, so in some ways I don't think it changed many artists the friends that I have uh, from changing because of the uh, the virus. I don't think it changed my my friends' attitudes who were artists. And they really looked forward to this sort of sequestered. Yeah. And uh, now I think a lot of them are showing a lot of uh, painting coming out. And Connie's book coming out, I think, will tie the art world, we hope, if there's a bigger picture coming mm -hmm. up in the future, the art world together for, uh, for a time. And it's nice to hear that psychology is heading back towards the arts and the mm -hmm. cultural activities of of us people, and I, I think that more of a soulful, you might say, mm -hmm. um, soulful um, pulling together of of art in relation to uh, everybody around us, right? And uh, so we've really we've really uh, had a pretty good off season. Yeah, an off season. It was a very long season, but yes, I I was happy to see how much uh, work you were able to uh, to produce during that time. Uh, we're glad to see that Rockport Art Association and Museum uh, and the North Shore Arts Association and the Guild of Boston Artists are again uh, opening their doors and, uh, and ready for all you uh, art lovers to rush in there and start buying paintings. To so, okay, well, I'm trying to decipher my notes here that I wrote down all these questions I had to ask you and now I can't read my own writing. So... Um, <laughs> Let's uh, let's move on because I know you know this is a sight and insight podcast, and you had or you were developing a program, a sight and insight workshop, which, uh, as you said, David, you started doing Zoom meetings and classes. So, do you find that people can can learn through an online course as just as easily as uh, if they're outdoors? I think so. Um, I think it actually might uh, be a better way of designing a course mm -hmm. uh, of of art. I think when when you're out outdoors, you get uh, sort of the critiquing element that we provide mm -hmm. in the Zoom class, but we also are providing two PowerPoint presentations. And, and they're specific to the topic that we're in discussion mm -hmm. about. And so, for instance, um, we started out with Gestalt Principles of Design, 
and then we moved into color and this was last year we moved in that direction. We began this year in January about imagination, which is really the foundation of painting. And, um, and as I said before, part of my book is about reclaiming the imagination in psychology. And, um, and I believe um, it's, it's aptly expressed through the 18th century landscape painters. So, for instance, I think one of them, which was Carl Gustav Karas, who um, actually graduated in 1810 from medical school, but he taught himself between 1810 and 1814 uh, how to paint. And, and so he was self-taught oil painter, landscape painter, and then he got with, um, with um, Caspar David Friedrich, so, so it's a fascinating segue, let's say, or nexus between psychology because he's also, and Carl Jung would say this and has, has that Karas was actually the person who pointed out that the mind is mostly made up of the unconscious and that the unconscious is what's driving us. And um, for him to be a painter you know, mm -hmm. as well as uh, a, a psychiatrist. Uh -huh. Well, he was a psychiatrist. Yeah. And, and so anyways, Jung fast. was named after Carl? Well, mm -hmm. apparently there is apparently some connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm not clear on that. It's interesting. But both of them are Carl Gustav. Mm -hmm. Carl Gustav Karas and Carl Gustav Jung. And... Um, and both being doctors, medical doctors, and also um, the other thing about Karras is that he dealt with the archetypes. So, you know, Carl Jung is really given lots of credit for that. Mm -hmm. But it, the etiology, the, the origins come from Karras. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned about um, people living in the unconscious. Uh, is that why I can't remember everything? Because all my thoughts disappear into this big black hole. <laughs> it's beginning to worry me. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Nothing wrong with knowing that these are the unconscious. Well, the, the unconscious, the other thing that I want to say is that there are a lot of misperceptions and misconceptions about what the unconscious is. It's not necessarily a big black hole. Oh, in fact, <laughs> and it's also not necessarily, I would put it, not all of the collective unconscious that Carl Jung talked about. I think these are um, reified concepts, mm -hmm. and I don't believe, I think it's a source of the living power of imagination, mm -hmm. and that is beautiful, and it is not a pathological thing at all. So when you can't remember something, you're just occupied with something else. Oh, well, I think. this is very true. Yes, I'm, I'm occupied with a lot of other things. Oh, but actually, that makes me feel much better. Oh, okay, Because good. It, it sounds like there is hope for me. <laughs> okay, but there I was. I had a question for you, David, and now it's just disappeared completely. <laughs> in the unconscious. Into the yeah, unconscious. Yeah. All right, so I know in these Zoom classes that you're doing, um, and I know that you've had... Um, a lot of success with them. There was a steady group of of uh, people who have followed through this program, uh, <clears> and <throat> I know from doing all the technical stuff, getting people on and off the Zoom thing, that I see 
the work that they're producing. And I've seen a huge difference in the work that yeah. they're, they're doing um, based on uh, some of the things that you talk about. So, yes, you talk about imagination. The, I know you're doing the colour experience. I know you've done one on blots, blots, blots. And also that you're very big on the metaphysical toolbox. Uh, and I understand when I'm listening to you talking about these things, it all makes perfect sense. And afterwards, it's like, how do you put this into practice? Um, do you think that students are concerned about the fact that, well, we have to think about the psychology of how I'm going to present this painting? Um, is it yes, difficult? Um, well, whoever wants to... <laughs> Whoever wants to, yeah. I just, no, I just I, wonder I, whether some people shy away because you talked about psychology and really all they want to do is to go out and stand in front of their easel and paint a painting, but they don't realise that they've got to have this foundation of of knowledge <clears throat> if, that if they if they know about some of these things or delve a little deeper into some of these things that it gives them a better start to. Producing a better painting. Well, I think the way we put it is is uh, when I I was fortunate enough to have my uncle as my high school art teacher. In the first class, it was all about a uh, it was a dot on the blackboard that said I'm a line one mile long, and a straight line right underneath it said I'm a circle. Prove it. Well, we sat there puzzled for at least two three days. I mean, he wasn't one of these teachers that couldn't wait to give you the answer. He was one of these teachers that wanted you to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it is. It's thinking. And that's what he was trying to uh, appeal to us as, you know, this content in painting. Whether you want to admit to it or not, there is content there. And I think that's what we're saying. What is the content? Well, it's the imagination. Mm -hmm. is the greatest tool of all. And I think in the imagination, it's probably... Does, since you were a child, designing things in a, in a very pleasing way for you to understand and get through life. And I think that's, that's the key ingredient. So the imagination incorporates designing, incorporates uh, you know, ways that you think you could do it. Uh, what I mean is, is that you know, it's important that you become like the child and don't say, no, I'm not going to be a child again. I'm an adult. Uh, it's good to be the adult. Rein in that imagination. Use the imagination. Apply the imagination. So don't be afraid of, you know, going back and visiting, you know, seeing your childhood. By the way, my uncle could prove that the straight line was a circle in perspective, mm -hmm. and the dot on the blackboard was a line one mile long, mm -hmm. and it was just your perspective. Yeah. So it was the way mm -hmm. he introduced the whole world of perspective. Which was one of our was one of our major uh, things on on grids uh, ways the, and I felt that these are techniques. You asked about how the student would learn something, but these are some of the ancient techniques and some of the very modern techniques mm -hmm. in which you would have to paint a picture or the the how version of mm -hmm. what you want to paint. Here's a way of doing it. Yeah. Too many people nowadays, I think, have a you know just sort of a single perspective, and it's kind of a shame that they don't climb up on their roof and they could do a painting from their rooftop and the imagination of, of putting that together that scene would maybe just change your thinking about everything has to look through 
the picture plane or the, uh, the, um, the uh, what do you call it, the viewfinder. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, Connie and I have been experimenting with things like glancing. When you just see something at a glance, what do you remember that glance to have? Because probably the glance designed better and probably went along better than when you take the viewfinder or the camera lens and look for a composition that fits inside that little rectangle. I don't think that always works in the totality of uh, taking in everything around you. The, the, the thinking feeling state is where you want to be to paint. Uh, so a lot of these things are to inspire the student to think more. And I think when you mentioned their improvements in their homework, I think they, uh, they really did start applying more thinking tools to their paintings. And that's what we're seeing. And I, and I think it's, uh, uh, it's, that's a reward unto itself to see the results. But other things that we've done with Zoom, um, uh, when we did the Metaphysical Toolbox, Connie wasn't keen on grids. Not a grid type. Uh, she's more of a natural painter's type, but like a like an impressionist. Put down a, a piece of red or a piece of green or a piece of blue because that's what she sees, and try to get the shape and the color that she sees in nature and puts it down in a natural way, not some sort of a formulaic way. And that would be a lot like the impressionist painted. And then the last tool we had, we did blots, and I thought. Uh, that was very interesting. I think one of the things that I would emphasize is that the way where David points out that we're we're teaching thinking that we're you know how do we think and how do we so so and that that's critical to how you paint. So it's not a set of um, do's and don'ts. You know, mm -hmm. it's not a prescriptive kind of painting. We're teaching experiential, mm -hmm. experiential methodology. And that experiential methodology arrives at, and it comes out of roots like Goethe mm -hmm. and Kant and uh, Descartes. They all were looking at things. They were experimenting. And Swedenborg says, it's, um, he talks about observation, analysis, and synthesis. And what he means is that you're always looking, you're always observing, mm -hmm. you're analyzing it, mm -hmm. and that's when we bring to bear some of our skills as painters, I think. Mm -hmm. And then we're synthesizing something, hopefully, it, you know, David was talking mm -hmm. about the playfulness, perhaps, or the uh, acting like a child, uh, but the child part must be connected with, the child is connected with the skills, mm -hmm. the craft of painting. So both of them must work in kind of tandem with one another. Mm -hmm. And I think that then you create a poetic mm -hmm. aspect to your painting. Yeah. I don't get it. Well, I think, I think one of the things that Connie's been really concentrating on the 18th century, uh, specifically landscape painters, and one of the things that we found that we introduced in one of the modules was the camera lucida, the camera obscura, was very commonly used by, well, they call it the clawed glass, mm -hmm. that he actually went outdoors. We even found a, 
a tape, uh, you know, uh, by, from the Boston Museum of Fine Arts, showing that Fitzulane might have even used the camera Lucida out of doors in order to get his drawing, go into the studio with the drawing, and do the memory, the, do the painting that he probably had from his memory and his imagination. Mm -hmm. um, so it was very interesting, the number of different lenses, specifically coming out of the 18th century landscape painters. And uh, Connie has gone so far as to actually use a Lucider again as an experiment. Right. But I kind of did it in a quirky manner. So it wasn't how, uh, like David Hockney talks a lot in The Secret Knowledge, his book in 2013, about, about the camera Lucida primarily. Um, and it is something that you really keep very close tabs on what you're doing. The one I did was askew, <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, that was very interesting. Yeah, yeah. and um, and because the there was a lot of perspective in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and at the same time, I think it was truly, genuinely experiential. Yeah. So, so, and that's the emphasis of sight and insight is is the experiential realm because I think what what gets tied together in the experience is the skill level that you bring to that to that moment mm -hmm. that you're out painting or you're painting in the mm -hmm. studio and the actual uh, psychological, you know, uh, gestalt, let's say, that wh who you are mm -hmm. comes mm -hmm. about too. So those two elements come together. It's not personality. It's it's actually embodied. Mm -hmm. You're um, there. There are several philosophers of the early 20th century, like Malou Ponte, mm -hmm. uh, Derrida, and um, Husserl, are the ones that come to my mind. But um, all three of those guys talk about embodied. Um, you're in your whole experiential body. And as painters, that's who we are. We're doing that. Yeah. Um, okay, where was I going to go with that? So, uh, yeah, just for those of you who might not know uh, enough about these, you have, obviously haven't been checking the website to find out more details. So the Zoom classes, um, they're one a month, uh, and they include... Two presentations, I think you said, Connie, right. and then homework and three critiques for only $150. Now, that's a bargain, folks, so we want to see you all signing up and, and taking advantage of the knowledge and experience that these two can, can help you with and uh, we have to create a, your own wonderful painting. We have a fabulous one coming up in June. Uh, that will be pl involve plain air if, if you're able to involve yourself with the plain air experience. Uh, and we're going to have a, this will be about color and it's going to be about the uh, sort of color makes form. And uh, so your homework will be color makes form. But we'll actually have a model who happens to be Judy Curtis <laughs> in, the gar in your own garden. And uh, the students will be welcome to come on a Saturday and do a, uh, a fresh painting. We'll offer two of those classes mm -hmm. along with the normal uh, two modules and three critiques. We'll have these two outings uh, or two, uh, two vision. And, and I think the figure in the garden really helps too because you think of form 
also, too, probably will be bringing up a lot of gestalt because it is figure ground. <laughs> but the other thing I want to mention that, that uh, Judy, you talked about um, how have things changed for mm-hmm. Sight and Insight. You know, we've been doing the podcast mm-hmm. and then we moved into Zoom. And the Zoom classes, monthly Zoom classes, have been tremendous because we have the two PowerPoint presentations mm-hmm. Um, where we're we're hopefully giving some insight and sight mm-hmm. about how to approach mm-hmm. a particular uh, painting. And then the three critiques, I think, are really very um, specific. I think you get a lot more than you get if you just showed up on a Saturday to get a, a lesson mm-hmm. at, at the you know, Greenbelt or someplace like that, that we used to teach. Um, <laughs> it's better. It's, it's actually 10 times better, maybe 100 times better, because you get not only one, two, and three, but you get a special, um, you know, focus on your piece. And everybody gets a chance to yeah. see it and to make their own uh, interpretations. Yeah. I yeah, think because it's you can terrific. learn from a critique of somebody else's work. Exactly. And if uh, so, that you're encouraging people to go outdoors. It's not an indoor class exactly. where you're painting in the studio. So they go out and they paint their own piece wherever they want to be, and then they bring it for critique into the Zoom classroom. Right. So so throughout now we've begun. This is May. We have outdoor classes, and we'll go through October. Mm-hmm. Uh, with outdoor classes once a month uh, and the Zoom. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the best of all worlds yeah. because you're getting outdoor yeah. and you're getting this specific critiquing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when you say once a month, that's one, one, well, subject, that's, one theme you're focusing on and there's actually five classes per month. Exactly, yeah. right. So each each month, for instance, May, we did the color experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, in June, we're going to have gray mm-hmm. vibrations or color vibrations mm-hmm. that we're going to look at the pearly grays, the different elements of gray. Then we're moving into some of the gestalt work of figure ground, more specifically and more hands-on. So in all of these classes that I'm saying from May through October, we will have both the five, uh, the three critiques, the two PowerPoint presentations, and we get a chance to be outdoors. And there's notes. Judy does this beautiful set of notes. Uh, that go out with every after every module, mm-hmm. the very next day, and um, I think uh, I, I think what I have found in in preparing for these Zoom classes that it really has um, we call it the deep dive, if right. you will. Um, we really had to go deep, and I thought we've done. A, I mean, the one on blots I think was very interesting uh, because um, because I think you discover uh, myself as a painter for. Um, almost f- over 50 years, I-, I realized that I was using that blot technology or the, bl- the blotting system of looking at something from a blot point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I, as I mentioned to Connie, I said, you know, I feel guilty that I'm not paying $150 to, uh, to understand more of the psychologies. Uh, and I-, I love psychology. 
and I think it's that from that viewpoint that Connie's able to clarify things and put things into perspective from an artistic, psychological viewpoint that really work well together. And I think that that's, uh, so I, I suppose she's going to say, now I should be paying. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, a, it's, a, it's very good. It's challenging. I've learned a lot about color. One of the things that we talked about with color is we were going to, not that there's anything wrong with understanding the color wheel or the theory of light, but we really went into the more of the pigmented form, the earthy form of that color takes on, um, maybe more objective. Well, um, I think it's more direct. Yes. Because I think uh, as painters and as oil painters, most of us are oil painters, some may be doing acrylic, but um, as oil painters, we know that if we mix all the colors together, we get a nice, rich, dark black. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting. And, and then from that, we get these various colors that we can move from. But that's the kind of uh, color wheel that we might be using, as opposed to uh, looking at something like a color chart. Well, one of the examples is that this homework for this class that we're doing involved in in May is that they had to create three different keys, a high key painting, a middle key painting, a low key painting, and we hope it's outside, uh, but nonetheless, it, people do what they can do, um, and the only sort of heads up or clue we gave them is to really analyze the temperature of each color. If you see a green, try to analyze, is that green warm green, cool green? And then what shade of that? In the next class, we're going to be talking about the neutrals. And the neutrals, if you will, maybe it's people will just take it as being the halftone to rendering form. But that halftone is very, very, very important from the extreme light to the extreme dark. That halftone really, especially when it comes to color, really sets up those two, the light and the dark. Right. So the other thing that I think that has been a discovery in doing the color experience class is that high-key paintings are, are somewhat, uh, they really emphasize the color. And, um, and, it's a, and it's been more difficult for people to kind of capture that high-key painting. Mm. And um, I think that David and I both have, have understood that that it's it's a, an opportunity as well as a, it appears to be somewhat of an obstacle because people are saying, whoa, you know, I can't use those real dark darks. Mm. And, and I think in pushing people to orchestrate something completely compose a complete painting out of a high key with that lowest note being something that you might even think is a, is a high note, uh, really pushes them into the field of color. And it's sort of pushing out into, I would say, the wilderness, <laughs> the wilderness of color, you know, which is uh, a place of discovery. Versus, versus something that would be uh, middle key and more chromatic would be a little different. Well, so, and I think that's safer. Right. I yes, think that's yes. a safer place to be. And then I think the low key 
is is obviously uh, strongly carrying a mood. Yeah, definitely because drama. It's yeah. it's got it's it's very subjective, uh, but also the high key has that lilty quality. Okay. Actually, the the challenge for mm-hmm. artists is to put those you know try to make something. How about a mood that's in a high key? You right, know? exactly. Very interesting, you know. And I and I think people like uh, Monet cert- certainly were trying to do that. I think they were because and, you think about the haystack. And and he, he yeah. was all nature. Yeah. Pure nature. It wasn't a we're going to do a figure in the garden to sort of help the uh, individual along to think about form as you would with a figure. You would think about more about form than if you were just doing flowers, trees. And the sunlight hitting the flowers of the trees might be might be a little too abstract for some people, uh, rather than saying the form of a figure against the trees and the flowers. Well, that has a concrete feeling to it. But let's go back to Monet, because Monet is we're speaking of color now and color experience as well as the grays uh, that we're going to do in June. And it, that is where we really get into some of the fine-tuning of color and really the color language. And I think Monet aptly, let's take the haystacks. You know, the haystacks vibrate. Now, why do they vibrate? It's because they also have elements of gray in them. And that vibration, so the sense is that you're, it's just a color note. It's an orange against maybe a, bl- a blue sky and, you know, some some green down below. But it's more than that. He has been using the various color, uh, like grays and color, to set that up. It's nice to get back together with you two. To keep you inspired into appreciating art, producing art, reading about art. Uh, speaking of which, um, I've been working, while these two have been out there painting and zooming, I've been working with uh, Dale Mavali on putting together a book um, based on Charles Mavali's writing uh, for the American artist. And so I think hopefully we're, uh, we're getting close to putting this thing together. Uh, so we'll, uh, I'll keep you posted about that because there's a lot of information there if you just want to read about uh, who, uh, who Charles Mavali was uh, talking to or you can also learn different things and techniques from these, uh, from these different artists when they describe how they do things. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was we've just got our badge from, uh, from Podbean to congratulate us on 1,000 downloads. <laughs> so thank you very much to all our listeners for helping us achieve that. So we hope it won't be too long before we can get together and produce another podcast for you. And in the meantime, thank you for tuning in and listening. And we hope to be back with you very soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you, and happy painting.